Welcome to Side Talks. <laughs> <laughs> that was more sing-songy than I expected. I'm um, trying to keep everything, you know. I'm, you know. I'm on my toes constantly. I, I'm trying. I'm trying. And you know, people love to hear me sing. Don't you know that? <laughs> hey, what's your name? And what is this thing? Oh my gosh, I'm Rachel Morgan. And uh, for you know, all all things transparency here. And I'm going to ask you your name in a minute. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, but all things transparency. Um, I. See what I just did there? I said um. We got some notes that I say um too much, and I damn. I listened to the podcast last week, and I was like, those are so, those notes are so on point. I know. I say so, you know a lot. Okay, I'm giving you a taser right now. I'm passing it across the table. Okay. Every time you hear me say um, I want you to tase me. Okay. Anyway, I'm Rachel Morgan. Um, and this is Zap. <laughs> Who are you? I'm trying to do some foley work here. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. It's function. It's exactly how Foley is supposed to work. <laughs> Zap. Yes. Who are you? Oh, I, I'm Corey Kraft. Uh, I'm. Uh, I use a taser. And this is a podcast about all things cinema. Made by Sidewalk. We, we work for Sidewalk. Get ready for a five minute fight. Five minute round one fight. fight. Five minute fight. I'm trying something different. Can you do a little lead on? Uh, to the movie, or do you want me to sing no, a song? No, I want you to like, sing a song. Okay. <clears throat> Five minute fight. I like it. It's I kind guess. of as if Orson Welles did it. Yeah. Well, here we go. We'll start the clock now as we begin to have our conversation here, a very civilized conversation okay, about the film Joy. So David O. Russell in th- this decade came out with The Fighter, Silver Linings Playbook, and American Hustle. All three of those were big Oscar players. All yep. three of those got uh, Academy Award nominations for Best Picture. He was riding high. And then in 2015, he made a movie called Joy, starring his sort of more recent muse, Jennifer Lawrence, as the inventor of a mop. That's right. That um, is ex- that's part of why I like this film. Okay. Well, interesting story for a film, but he is unable to wrangle all of that chaotic energy that makes the previous three movies and his other work uh, pretty special and interesting. And Joy just kind of belly flops and lays there and isn't very good. I would like to go ahead and highlight the fact that for the first time in a while, and maybe ever, I'm on the right side of popular opinion now in terms of JLOR. So that is my secret weapon here. There's strategy involved in my argument, and okay. that secret strategy is JLOR. Everybody loves Jennifer Lawrence. Do they? Can't not love. Yes. When she fell down the stairs, everybody was like, it's cute even when yeah, she but falls. Yeah, that happened like, like seven years it ago. It doesn't Do matter. Like she's Ameri- Yes, she's America's sweetheart. Okay. Everybody likes her, even though she dated Darren Aronofsky. We're well, still... he, he wears a scarf very nicely. Yeah, he's old enough to be her great-grandfather, but it's cool. So everybody loves her despite all of that, and I'm going to win this based on JLAR. So... What is it? I don't – this is the thing. The, uh, and both of us have, are admittedly arguing about a film we haven't seen in a very long time. Yes. That, As I mentioned, I the thing I remember most about it is I have some Joy Brand hangers in my closet, and I saw those this morning, and that – they're good hangers. But the film I remember being really interesting, um, really strangely directed. And I yeah. think that is a place where people lose s- – Lose it with this film, right? Yeah. Is that there yeah. are moments, there are scenes, like the scene, the sort of, there's a particular scene I'm thinking of um, that I've broken apart a good bit, which is the, I'm going to give you this money scene, right? The, but you have with to do, you know. Isabella Rossellini? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you just said it. Strange timing, odd direction, beautifully shot scene with Isabella Rossellini. So I won the argument. Look, I mean, it's a movie filled with fragments of scenes that don't really coalesce to actual scenes. I disagree. And it certainly doesn't come together in any sort of interesting narrative. It's just episode by episode by episode. You know, I think like Diane Ladd is a narrator slash her grandmother Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's, it's an odd mix of this business story and this family drama, this over-the-top family melodrama. And David O. Russell can do that well, as we've seen in the previous movies I mentioned and, and something like I Heart Huckabees and Flirting with Disaster, which are crazy screwball energy, right? But in Joy, it's, 
you know, it's tepid. It's not enough of one thing, as I recall. I mean, again, I'm going yeah. Off of I mean, I think that, that I you're getting the tone ago. wrong. I do. I think you're getting. I, and I, but I do think that's this film's problem. I think this is why this doesn't hit a lot of people's list, and why a lot of people turned away from this film. Because I do think whatever's going on here is it's packaged as being, you know, your typical Oscar nom film that's sort right. of, you know, mainstream. Here it comes, and it's weird as hell. That's how I felt it's, about American Hustle. Yeah, where people kind of backlashed against that, and I was like, no, this movie is ridiculous and right. completely insane. I think Joy, that's the case here too. I, I think it's got too much of the inspirational no, feel-good drama in it. That's though. where I disagree with I, you. I, I really don't. I think her whole – I think that that particular character as a human being who it's based on, first uh-huh. of all, but also in portrayal by Jennifer Lawrence, I think that particular person is so odd and the history there is so strange and the fact that we're watching a movie about somebody who made a mop is the statement in itself. Mm-hmm. And that it is a weird little film packaged up as something that's not so weird and maybe is very friendly to the average person. And that's where the tone – I will I will say it. That's where the tone I think gets mis- misconstrued. Well, tone aside, the construction, the scene-by-scene construction of the movie is a mess. I don't – I don't – again, I'd have to sit down with it again. So it's really not – you know, I'm, I'm not doing my best here. But I don't remember that being the case at all. I don't remember having any issue at all watching this film come together – for me, it felt like neither fish nor fowl. I mean, it was just just kind of there. And, and you know, the performances are fine. I mean, I, your your boyfriend, Bradley Cooper's in it. I would have thought. I was would... about to say, that's when the movie comes to life for me. Oh, gross. That Isabella Rossellini scene and the interlude where he is this <laughs> wacko QVC producer guy who is, he just bounces in like Tigger from a, a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually liked that stuff. Everything else, you know, with I, I, I had even forgotten that Robert De Niro was in this movie. He is. I mean, listen to the people that we've just listed. The performances are good. The direction is is weird but good. The film itself, the script, is strange but good. Okay, well. Yeah. Yeah. I should watch it again, I guess. I've got no dog in this fight, really. I mean, a David O. Russell fan. I just want Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Sam. Jennifer Lawrence. You think that Sam is going to be swayed by just saying the name Jennifer Lawrence? I'm going about to pull up a picture of her on my phone. Oh no! Here we go. America's sweetheart she's anymore. still America's also, sweetheart. Also, also, remember that movie Passengers? Did you see Passengers? I saw. I tried. Yes, I did see it. That movie's Didn't like it. Fucking terrible. If she can't salvage that, she is no America's sweetheart. She I went contend. down the stony end when she started dating Aronofsky. I mean, that's a fact. Don't we all do? <laughs> I mean, we all go through our Aronofsky. I phases. hated it when Corey was dating Aronofsky. Look, I mean, he couldn't even get him to come to the festival. I inspired him to make uh, The Fountain, though. We'll say that. I love that movie. (laughs) I adore that movie. Okay, I'm resting my case. Um, Okay, so I like how Rachel said it's about the inventor of the mop, which is why I like it. Um, (laughs) Just the general idea of watching a movie about the creation of the mop is just a little surreal. It's a special kind. Can I just, I have to interject. It's It's a special mop. mop. It's a special mop. It's not like she invented a mop in the 20th century. Does the mop have powers? Here's how it goes. (laughs) Here's how it goes, Sam. She got tired of ringing the mop. So she figured out how to make a mop that you don't have to get on your hands and knees to ring. There we go. So basically the social movie. <laughs> this, this, this generation <laughs> Z motherfuckers never mopped anything in his life. Let me tell you about it's mopping. It's a Zuckerberg yet, story. Mom, dad, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> Uh, Rachel says the tone gets misconstrued by the viewer, but that kind of implies the film has a misconstrued tone to begin with. Um, so I think that's points in Corey's area here, um, or points for Corey's argument. And um, I'm going to say Rachel loses all the points she's ever gotten for calling her J-Lar instead of J-Law. <laughs> and Corey just gets all those points. I get to also. do whatever <laughs> I want. Yeah, but you don't lose they or, or you, you don't win a, a battle like this. So apparently I won because – Just because of, of my j Law. Yeah, you deserve it. I will never stop saying j Law. Well, then you're going to lose. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to lose anyway. So it's that time of year when everybody's list comes out, when everybody takes to the Facebook, takes to the Instagram and says, here's my 10 films of the year. And – you know, there's like six people out there that care about any one person's list. So sorry. I know that people listening are like, well, I've got my list and I know at least 20 people like it. Um, anyway, before I'm disparaging to everybody in the world, we're going <laughs> to do the same thing here. So it feels um, it feels inappropriate to be giving a top 10 films of the year <laughs> list before any of us have seen Cats. 
I've seen the trailer and it's I'm already fair. scared. There, there is good. no digital fur technology in any of the movies I'm going to mention here. Well, I just want to, I just want to make that disclaimer because they use it all for. <laughs> I mean, evidently, but I just you know, it. This is incomplete. This is a list in progress. You know that will change. Sure. I'm sure. Sure. Once I, thought, I see that 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 cat's movie, I thought you were going to say something like it's inappropriate to have this list when the year's not over. And I mean, I mean, we can all acknowledge we haven't seen every single film this year. Right. No, I I have tried. You've got four left. I I have more than four. Unfortunately, I have I have a list of movies that I want to see for my list. Yeah. Well, this is going to – we're going to go around and we're going to do the list of stuff that we think is the best of the year from what we've seen, from what we've seen, acknowledging that – like for me, I haven't seen Uncut Gems yet. I'm the, I'm, the only, I'm the only one at the table who's seen it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hold on that. I haven't even seen Honey Boy yet, which is playing at the cinema. Yeah, but neither which have I. So, I mean, there's stuff. There's yeah, there's stuff. stuff. Um, and – I can think of like the souvenir. I don't know how I missed, um, but I haven't seen it. And I know that that ranks really highly for most. So I'm just acknowledging this thing. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just start? And Corey, you just say, you say that you're number one and then, you know, we'll go around the table. Number one down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Y'all ready for this? Well, actually you're right. Let's start with 10. Okay. Let's start with 10. I was getting overly excited. We'll go with 10. Okay. Let's build anticipation. All right. Here we go. Number 10. Us. Directed by Jordan Peele. <laughs> Refer to my five-minute fight it's segment. It's a good one to mention. It's a good one on it's our a, list. It's a terrific movie. Whatever. Um, you're t- I, I, we I have said him. we've listed one, one film on one list so far, <laughs> and Rachel already was Charlie's turn, discouragingly hush. dismissive. Hush. Okay, Charlie, what's your number 10? My number 10 would definitely have to be Greener Grass. Yes. Tight, tight. Like it. I approve. My number 10 is The Irishman. Wow. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> care to care to explain? Double digits, man. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's fine. No, no. That, okay, that's yeah. okay. It's on there. Sure. It's there. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, number nine. This one's gonna get. I'm gonna get laughed at for this one too. But I just caught up with this. Uh, Mariel Heller's "A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood," starring Tom Hanks. Oh Hoxes my as god. Oh my god! I haven't even seen it. And I'm pissed off. <laughs> haven't seen it yet. I'm not pissed off. I'm extremely you know, excited now. You know this shouldn't be on the list, Charlie. No, it's, you it's know uh, this it is marvelous. Sam, come and help me. Get me out of here. No, wait a minute. Okay, because because my next one almost didn't make the list. So, so that's that's a good segue. I'll say my number nine is American Dharma. It almost yes. didn't even make the list, but it's it's on there. Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers and Steve Bannon, pretty equivalent. Tom yeah, Hanks as Steve Bannon. Oh man, that's one. Maybe my opinion would change. All right, number my number nine is Apollo Eleven. Cool, it's a good movie. You notice how I'm not laughing at you or disparaging your picks? <laughs> oh my god, whatever. <laughs> Just wait. Uh, number eight, uh, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which is just a lot of fun. Nice. You got you got behind that southern accent. I did. Wow, I enjoyed it. Uh-oh. Anyway, <laughs> my number eight is Midsummer. It's a good movie. Okay. It is not on my list. Shocker, but it's not on my list. I think it deserves to be on a list. It's just not on mine. It's in my top 15, yeah, not my top yeah, 10. Yeah. Um, okay, my number eight is They Shall Not Grow Old. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. It's I just, crazy. just saw that. It should make a list, you yeah. know? It's it's pretty spectacular. I'm back it. Uh, number seven, uh, currently playing at the Sidewalk Cinema, Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. Oh, boy. Oh boy! Have I have I do I have opinions on movies that you don't have a problem with? I haven't seen it yet. Know, I'm excited to see we'll it. T- we're going to counter that one though. Terrific. I mean, I don't hate it. It's just oh, it shouldn't okay, be on good. the list. It shouldn't be on the list. My number seven on that note, yeah, yeah. which is way further down the list probably than anyone ex- expected. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. 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 It's I already had that further fight. down the list. I, I notice how. Rachel's not yelling at you. He already knows. Okay. And All he's right. also, I cut my eyes at him. <laughs> sure. Fine. So you, you didn't get away, you know, empty handed. No. I mean, you guys, y'all are boys. You're going to like that movie. Number seven, I mean, you know, number seven, Knives and Skin. Okay. That's great. That yeah. did not make my list, and it should have. It's one I overlooked. That one's a great, great film. Uh, number six, Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir. It's already come up. Wonderful movie. Everybody needs to see it. It's underseen. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know how it hasn't crossed my eyes yet. Yeah, I haven't even heard of it. You'll probably watch it and be like, it's fine. <coughs> maybe. Maybe. What is that? Number six? Yeah. My number six is The Nightingale. Oh, man. 
Yeah, oh, it's on that boy. list. Let it fly to the top. We already know where it is on your <laughs> list. You've said it like 9,000 times. Yes, I have, and I'm going to say it 9,001 today. But we're not there yet. We're at number six, right? So Cold Case, can somebody do it for Hammershold. me? Thank you. That one's great. Yeah, great pretty film. good. Number five, uh, Ad Astra, directed by James Gray. Not oh. on my list. It's really Uh-oh. good. Uh-oh. You didn't like it? My number five. <laughs> Okay, Take great. the high road, Charlie, because you see what happens when you don't. Just kidding. My number Savage. five is The Irishman. Cool. Way further down the list than I thought I would this morning. Yeah, yeah. Really My number movie. five is The Lighthouse. Hmm. Hmm. Really liked it. Cool. I liked it too, but not, it's not on my list. Wow. Yeah. That's shocking. I'm actually surprised, but. Uh, my number four is, and this is farther down on the list than I thought this would be, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. I'm actually shocked. Starting yeah, I thought that sense. might be your number one or number I, two. I, it, it's, it's a real good year, y'all. It's a it real is good a really year. good year. I was going to say, pretty much everything I anticipated, all of the things delivered. I, th- I think that my top four are all all-timers, amazing, mm-hmm. great movies. Yeah, they're going to start to re- rehash here. My number four is not on y'all's list, but it is The Mountain. Oh, mm, man. Yeah. The bag of rats of a movie. Definitely not on my list. It's amazing. Um, it is a great film. It is a pain. It is like just a series of paintings. But man, oh man, that is about as mean spirited as it gets, and it's cold and cruel. But I appreciate it. My number four is the uh, is kind of the opposite of that in some ways, and that is Hustlers. Yeah, whoop, whoop. it's a great movie. Haven't seen great it yet. Film. I'm excited in to see it. My top twenty five, but not on my top yeah. ten list. Okay, now we're down to the top three. All right, number three. <laughs> um, after uh, I made such a big deal about it earlier this summer, it may surprise you to know that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is coming in at number three. That shocks me, list. actually. I thought yeah. that was now for sure number one no. because Yeah, the way the conversation's been going. Yeah, yeah right. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is still my bay, but it <laughs> oh, is number believe. three because my, my top two are that good. I think that we should be, we should have to take up number three and four because that film's so long. <laughs> and the Irishman. <laughs> number, number, say. It's actually my number ten and eleven. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so so my number three has already been mentioned. It is the lighthouse. It excellent just blew me away. I Y'all really liked that movie. Huh? I expected great things, and it I delivered. Did. It cool. delivered those great things. I yeah. won't say what it did because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But it was amazing. It does what it sets out to do, which I really appreciate in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, my number three, we're on number three, right? Yep. Is Scheme Birds. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a great movie. Yep. I hope that that gets distribution. Me too. So that more people can see it. Number two, uh, a perfect movie that is still only number two on my list. Um, a movie I hope we get at the cinema very soon. Portrait of a Lady on Fire by Celine Sciamma, the, the French filmmaker. I forgot to put it on my list. Oh. So I'm going to have to revisit my list because I totally have your back on that. That's like, I got to revisit my list. I am surprised it's not on your list. I don't know how. You're the one who told I, you me know, about it. You know, I just can't. I mean, I think part of the reason is because we're looking at putting it at the cinema well into January. Yeah. Maybe even later now is sort of the distribution yeah. plan. Yeah. So it just keeps pinging me as a as a future film. But no, it's not. And it should be on my list. So I'll revisit. But I'm just got your back on that one for sure. Finally. <laughs> Rachel oh agrees boy. with me about a movie. Oh my god! So, that means you definitely, podcast listener, need to see it if it is. <laughs> it's know, ex- it's an pick. exceptional film. Yeah, it's perfect. It's great. I love it so much. Uh, speaking of films, I love my number two is Parasite. Nice because of <laughs> well, it's just because of everything about it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's again. These directors that all had movies coming out this year, so many of them, highly, highly anticipated films. And this was another one that just like blew me away, like better than anything else he's ever done, in my opinion. And that's I'm just going to say that. I agree. But we'll hear more about that in a second. (laughs) Oh, boy, will we ever. It's Uh not on my list at all. Um, But I like it. It's good. It's up there. It's in my, you know, top 50 of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But it is not, it's not. How not magnanimous of you. Oh, I know. And as a matter of fact, the Irishman might get bumped and moved around now because I've got to find room for the beautiful portrait. But anyway, my number two, is that where we are? Mm-hmm. Is Booksmart. Great cool. film. Yeah, yes. It's in my top 25. It's really good. It's in my top 11. It mm-hmm. almost uh, made this nice. list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. The best movie of 2019 
According is, to Corey Kraft. According to Corey Kraft, but also kind of objectively when you think about it, is uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We knew great. it was coming. It's great. It's a good, I would I would have put it there, but I was allowed to see a copy of Uncut Gems. Uh-oh. And that film just had my skin crawling and it was the craziest wild ride since Good Time. And Good Time has been like my favorite film for two years. <laughs> Not that long. So I don't know. This guy's deliver quick and they deliver strong. Nice. Well, here comes the biggest shocker of them all. Yep, let's hear The it. best film of the year is The Nightingale. <laughs> I mean, I can't argue with it. It's, it's, no, you're not going to. No, it's in to. my top 15. It didn't quite make my list. Well, I wonder why. Let's talk about the three or four things that can why. bump off of the air to make room okay, for The Nightingale. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. For list lovers, this was it. Other people have fast forwarded and you can restart your whatever it is now, your MP3 file, your... AIF, your whatever it may be. Any honorable mentions? Oh, I've got a bunch. I got one I hated that everyone loved. Okay, what? Joker. My man, my man. That movie sucks. Haven't seen it yet. It sucks. Sucked. Still it's haven't seen it. Real bad. Uh, a lot of yours were on my honorable mentions, but I would also say that, um, man, the Peanut Butter Falcon almost made it there because even though it's got the worst name for a film ever, it's super sweet and sort it's of really old nice. school in this particular way. And I think lovely um, and its inclusion and so many other things. And of course, uh, you know what I'm about to say. Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson. <laughs> so there's that. Um, yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a ton of stuff. Also, The Cat in the Moon, yeah, which Cat is a really lovely film. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's see what else. What else have you got over there? Safe Spaces. I rewatched Safe Spaces at our Jewish Film Festival, yeah. a Stan um, Schechter's film. And I really, really like it a lot. I think it's really funny and just does a lot of sort of like classic things that, you know, a film should do. Like, right. a, like a film in quotes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a movie. And it's just really lovely and fun and, and sweet and poignant and all kinds of other, provocative, all of those things. All right, I'm going to move as fast as I can. These oh, are, shit. These are all of the other movies that I've oh, given wow. um, my highest rating on my little list here mm-hmm. on my phone. I'm sorry in advance. Okay, here we go. The Farewell, Pain and Glory, which is Pedro Almodovar's new movie. It's great. Uh, Transit, Midsommar. The Nightingale, Under the Silver Lake, I'll, nah. I'll Fight, I'll Fight, Ready or Not, Piercing, High Life, Her Smell, The Art of Self-Defense, Booksmart, High Flying Bird, Hustlers, and Dolomite is My Name. I love all of those movies. They did not make my top ten, though. Solid, solid. I mean, I only have two others that no one ever heard of uh, this year that came out. They were really good. And one was called Bolden. Mm-hmm. It's about Buddy Bolden. Jazz trumpet player who basically and i'm just gonna say it invented jazz uh Uh-oh. but it I, thought, I thought ryan gosling invented the film jazz. wasn't that great he did, he did but uh but uh the story was crazy and it's got it's full of really good actors and then the golden glove which is actually um authored in german which i can't pronounce but um it's about a crazy serial killer from the 70s and it's very very gory tight it was good cool i'm on board so yeah all movies films to see. now more than ever and now it's time for Phone a Friend. This is a new segment of the podcast, um, one in which we do exactly what the title says, and that is Phone a Friend and ask them what they've been watching. Hello. Hey, Ross, it's Rachel. Hey. You were expecting me to call, right? Because you're on a podcast. You kn- I mean, <laughs> I, I was. I, no, you I know, I told you what we we're going to call you. And so Corey's here. He's sitting across the table from me. Hi. Hi, Corey. What are you doing? I'm um, just hanging out with these little dogs. Well, you know, we were calling because we just want to hear from you about what, what movies you're watching. This is like a new segment. We're going to give it a shot and see, like, what are you watching? Okay. Well, you may immediately cancel this segment after you hear what I've been watching because it's bad. But, okay, <laughs> I would say year-round I cast a wide net and, and like different things and explore different types of cinema and that kind of thing. But last holiday season when we were visiting family um, at my parents' house, my aunt's house, and Tony's parents' house, we wound up, we kind of kept meandering to the Hallmark Channel. Like, <laughs> like one does. Just, we just, it, we accidentally, we were at my aunt's house and she was watching one. So we accidentally kind of fell into one and then we realized, <laughs> oh, why don't we just watch another one of these? Like later that night. And then the next this is how the Hallmark Channel exists, by the way. And then, it, yeah, as soon as 
we got to Tony's parents' condo in Homewood, we like had to figure out what channel the Hallmark Channel was is there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we got kind of they got you locked in. We got really. <laughs> They got me. And, you know, it's yes, they're bad, sure, but the production values are better than you would expect. I'm telling you that. But also, <laughs> like, there's that thing where there's no stakes at all. And, and like I said, throughout the year, I want to watch more engaging cinema. And I know that's what Sidewalk is all about overall. But I just, it's something about it. You don't, you're not worried about it. You know, everything doesn't work out. And it's fun. It's fun to kind of guess what's going to happen and and then sometimes maybe very once in a blue moon be surprised or you know something like that there's always an evil boyfriend to begin with and oh it's just and so what got us hooked really was last year one that we were watching at my aunt's house it had a property brother in it (laughs) universe i was like what a crossover and i don't know which property brother it was it was he was wearing a suit in the film and i know that one of the property brothers is the suited guy, and one is like the handyman, more everyman guy. And so this one, you know, if I had to guess, I would think it would be the suited guy because of the suit. But I was thinking, what if he's actually the handyman guy, and they put him in a suit, and it's kind of like one for the fans, like wink, look, he's the suited. He's not. He's the suited one now. And I don't know. The point is, the property brother was the evil boyfriend that she had to go to the countryside, she had to go to the country or whatever, and then, you know, there's like a sheriff, and he's all about Christmas spirit, and he teaches her the way, and, you know, that whole thing. And so I think, you know, she ditches the property brother. Yeah, I appreciate that. He really went out on a limb, because, you know, they're kind of considered to be nice guys, right? Am I wrong about that? Yeah. Pro- yeah, so he really went on a limb and risked his, his entire reputation by being an evil guy in a Hallmark movie. You can tell that there's an undercurrent exactly. of darkness there. True. <laughs> So, well, so what happened was we kind of started decorating for Christmas the other day and kind of started thinking, well, I mean, a Hallmark movie would be nice. We <laughs> sort of dipped our toe in last year. And apparently they're actually kind of hard to find on any online services. I mean, Netflix has their own version of them, but right. it's not the same. I tell you that. Because you don't Having subscribe to the channel. You've got family members who subscribe to the channel, but you don't subscribe. So you're Correct. going, sur- you actually went out into the world searching for a Hallmark movie. Yeah, and it is really hard to find. You know, it's it's not something that you see easily. But guess what we had to do? What? We actually downloaded the Hallmark movie app. <laughs> but just for the free trial, just for the free trial, just for like the last week. Um, you got to get them all in this week. To so about an app, but I know I have like seriously just a couple days left. Um, the thing is, I'm not really happy with the app because guess what? What I. So here's the thing. The Property Brother movie from last year, we never saw the end of it because we had to leave. And I was right. actually really bummed about that. We had to leave my aunt's house and we didn't finish it. So I'm assuming she broke up with the Property Brother, but I don't know. <laughs> and so we, I Googled it. I Googled Property Brother, a Hallmark <laughs> movie. And sure enough, I found it. It's called A Christmas Parade. And because when we left, they were, she and the new hot sheriff in the small town she had to visit were um, like decorating a float. Oh, well, that they're going to the get together. Thing. So he was, um, he it was a fine sheriff. When does that happen? Oh, do what? I'm sorry, it cut out a little there. Oh, that's okay. I'm saying, when is a sheriff ever fine? So he was hot, fine, good to look at, and they're going to end up together probably. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I Googled this one to find out the name. It's called a, a Christmas Parade, and then it's not on the app. And so then oh. I started looking around and reading the reviews, and all these people are so mad. Like, you need to go <laughs> read the reviews for the Hallmark movie app because people are so mad because there'll be a movie on television, and they'll go try and finish it on the app, and it's not there and so Hallmark doesn't put their entire catalog on their app and I even hmm. tested another way Tony found a list of the worst Hallmark movies so of course we wanted to see those and a couple of them were not on the list so it's not an inclusive app so I don't know about that so anyway if Hallmark channel executives are listening y'all need to fix that because I'm sure you have like archives right I don't know they are definitely anyway listening. and there's a yeah they're definitely listening and there's a <laughs> and there's got to be a strategy to this like they're withholding this so that you actually go and get the Hallmark channel, it's, not it's, just the app, but like the whole deal. It's right? like the Disney vault. Scarcity. The Hallmark vault. The Hallmark vault. Right. That's what I thought. I mean, who else has access to these besides the Hallmark channel? You know, like, why don't they just put them all on there? And need to pay for the app. So I'm, it just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. But anyway, um, as soon as you asked me what I've been watching lately, I was like, oh gosh, um, it's the Hallmark movies. But <laughs> let me tell you, a few of them have been really good. My favorite particular one has been... Um, Win- window Wonderland. It's about competing window dressers. <laughs> Did you relate to that? I because won't what? Spoil t- tell everybody it, what you do for a living. Who me? Oh, yes. I, well, I do interior design. So, so it's 
you know, oh my gosh, and like 60% of the protagonists are interior designers and like the dudes are always architects or sheriffs or something. It's, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make note of that one. What else? Give us one more. Okay. The other one, this one's the most preposterous, but it was our most favorite. It's called Christmas Camp. <laughs> and this ad exec gal who's too obsessed with her job, you know, the type, she's like, oh, I'm so busy in the city. Uh, she <laughs> was sent to Christmas camp by her boss to learn a little bit more about the Christmas spirit and be less groovy. <laughs> and sure enough, Christmas camp was run by the sweet old man, widowed man, and his hot son. And you can just fill in the blank. Spoiler alert. Um, Spoiler alert, fill in the, the blank? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so christmas camp was the most ridiculous it was like this airbnb or rather this b&b um i think it was called north peak or something and it was all christmas right. themed oh my gosh it was really um it was exactly what you think and they had they, they had tasks like going out into the wilderness to cut out cut down trees and then decorate the trees and talk about the ornaments i mean it was exactly it was amazing and i was there for it it all feels of it. like we we're playing a game of hallmark movie mad libs yeah, it does. Also, oh, yeah. I I have a feeling that somebody learned a lesson in this film. Oh, oh, so many lessons are learned. <laughs> you know, not you just think the protagonist is going to learn a lesson. Dad learns a lesson. Uh, cute new boyfriend learns a lesson. You know, there wasn't an ex in this one. There wasn't like a property brother type character in this right. one. But sometimes there's an ex, and they definitely usually learn the worst lesson of all. So yeah, there's so many lessons around, and they're just they're, you know, you kind of get sucked in. It's like. You just, you can't stop when she started and they know that. And so, anyway, so addiction, yeah, like we need to of... warn people maybe a little bit too, that no. once you, once you start, you can't stop. We're not talking about addiction. This isn't a Lifetime movie. This is a Hallmark <laughs> movie. Correct. Correct. I know. And apparently Lifetime movies are, you know, they also have a Christmas contingent. So I haven't really dabbled in those, but that might be next. I think those get harder. Yeah, they, they have to. They get a little hard there. Yeah. Well, they do, they do. But apparently Hallmark now has a channel called Murders and Mysteries. So they're like, trying to get harder. Yeah, they're yeah, trying to get, get a little, ed, throw a little edge on it. I had no idea. <laughs> well, I'm so glad we called you because now we've learned a lot, um, including about this like little edgy Hallmark thing that might be coming up. So, um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, Lisa, maybe for... after Christmas I'll segue into the uh, Murders and Mysteries and keep you posted. Please do. Yes, I mean, that's like do. perfect for heating up to Halloween next year too, right? So. Oh, I know. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot for letting us call you and for letting us know about what you've been watching, which, you know, we couldn't have asked for more. Okay. I'm glad that, I'm glad it was helpful. And um, if I ever do catch the end of the Property Brother movie, I'll fill you in on okay. how it ended. I like that. I think do your best, please, to get to the bottom of that one, and we're going to call you back on it. Because I, okay. I really need to know. I All know. Right. Me too. Well, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And now, fast film terms. It's time for... <laughs> fast film terms, to <laughs> say it in the normal speed. Fast film terms. So I have one for you today, which is atypical. Okay, what is it? It's a clothesline staging. Hmm, We just interesting. talked about this. We did, so tell us, tell us. So clothesline staging comes from the early days of anamorphic film lenses. Before the screen went wide, filmmakers worked in uh, what's called the Academy Ratio, right? So right. Roughly 1.33 to 1. Um, in, People are in bored width. right now, but yeah. Sure. Well, they're going to be more bored <laughs> as I continue this definition. Um, in that ratio, we figured out how to do things like uh, extend the depth of field so that everything in the frame was in focus at the yep. same time, called deep focus cinematography, best exemplified by Greg Toland's work in Citizen Kane. Right? Gorgeous. That's, yeah. Beautiful. People beautiful. don't know how he did it, actually. They no. still to this day don't I mean, know how he did it's it. It's gorgeous. It's remarkable work. Um, and he was a real innovator in that. Well, when we, you know, created these anamorphic lenses, um, we couldn't get the deep focus stuff right, at least at first. Had to, you know, fiddle with the lenses. So those early widescreen films um, have the mise-en-scene to borrow, you know, pretentious film guy term, mm -hmm. um, had the, the actors arranged uh, pretty much in a line because the depth of field was very shallow. Um, so your staging uh, was unimaginative, right? It was flat. Right. It was basically 
um, on a very shallow depth of field. And so you'd have like these Western stars, these cowboys arranged pretty much in a line in this widescreen frame. And this came, this became derisively called clothesline staging because uh, you couldn't arrange people within, you know, any depth in the frame, at least yet. Now, of course, we're a little better with it. Um, but that is what clothesline staging is. It's a good film term from my film history class and our study in the Westerns, uh, which we're doing right now. Cool. So sometimes you've got to take two steps back to go three steps forward, if that makes sense. That's the story of film history and, oh, and innovations. Just so. wait till we talk about what we had to do to have sound film. Oh, my God. Anyway. Or just watch Singing in the Rain. True. Yeah, that's a fun one. Fast film terms. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today, I'd like to talk about Best in Show, directed by Christopher Guest, released in 2000. Christopher Guest didn't invent the mockumentary, but he has certainly perfected it. Best in Show follows the progress of five dogs and their owners during a prestigious dog show. It is the most commercially successful of all Guest's movies. The idea for the film came from when Guest was taking his dogs to the dog park. He says, there were people there with purebred dogs, mutts, and so on, and I just started mingling with them, and I thought, this could make for a really great movie. Guest enlisted Eugene Levy to help write the story, but Levy initially had doubts claiming he did not know how to make a dog show funny. Ultimately, the two of them worked out a 16-page narrative outline. Levy explained the outline and the major improvisation it left room for. Our outline gives a very solid blueprint to the actors so they know how to get from point A to B, but how they do it is largely up to them. However, Guest did reject a joke from Catherine O'Hara based on how she'd heard some dog owners masturbate them before they're shown, the only time he's ever completely refused an actor's suggestion. In addition to O'Hare and Levy, Best in Show features guests' regular cast of collaborators, including Parker Posey, Fred Willard, and Michael McKeon. It also marked the introduction of Jane Lynch to the group. Lynch met Guest when she did a Frosted Flakes commercial with him. Months later, she was asked to join the Best in Show cast as Christy Cummins. It opened up a bunch of doors for me. I felt like I fell into a way of working that really suits me. That was another one of those happy accidents that I could have never planned for, and it changed my life, really. Although Lynch made her first film appearance 12 years prior, it was Best in Show that gave her the mainstream exposure which made her a star. Before filming began, the principal cast had classes with their respective dogs and Erlene Luke, an all-breed professional handler. Luke's usual eight-week course was compressed into five intensive days. All the scenes featuring numerous dogs went remarkably smoothly. There is only one unscripted bark in the entire film, heard in the background as Christy and Sherry Ann argue about Christy's makeup backstage. On account of misbehaving, a new poodle was hired to portray Jennifer Coolidge's beloved pooch. No actual dog show would allow them to film on site, so Guest created the fictitious Mayflower Dog Show in Philadelphia. Real judges and professional handlers were used for most of the judging segments. The professional handlers also served as technical advisors for the actors in how to handle the dogs in the ring. Guest mostly shot with 16mm handheld cameras. It was later blown up to 35mm for theaters. 60 hours of footage was filmed, and it took Guest 8 months to edit it all down to 89 minutes. A lot of the used takes were first takes. Years before work on this film began, Guest wrote down the words, Catalog People, on a piece of paper. That simple idea eventually became the basis for characters played by Parker Posey and Michael Hitchcock. Initially, the couple had a pointer dog, so Posey and Hitchcock decided their characters shopped at J. Crew. When their dog was changed to Weimaraner, they decided their characters shopped at Banana Republic. Posey shopped for beige and tan clothes, quote, because Weimaraners just look so delusional and lost. Since their characters met at a Starbucks, the actors would hang out there figuring out their characters. Guest allowed Posey and Hitchcock to work with the set designer and go through the sharper image and front gate catalogs to work on the Swan's home. Parker Posey actually got real braces for her character to wear, and Hitchcock figured that Hamilton Swan would think he looked like Friends' Matthew Perry, so he told the hairstylist to make his hair look like Perry's hair. Fred Willard was only on set for two days. The cast said they never saw guests laugh as hard as they did when watching Willard perform as Buck Laughlin, the clueless commentator at the dog show. 
Willard was specifically instructed by guests to not do any research on dogs. Guests sent Willard tapes from past Westminster dog shows and asked him to notice the musings of former professional baseball player and broadcaster Joe Garagiallo, who had hosted the world's most prestigious dog show for eight years, despite, as guests pointed out to Willard, taking no effort to learn about dogs. On the other hand, Jim Pittock, who plays the other commentator at the dog show, had to do a lot of dog research so that his character would appear knowledgeable. Guest gave Pittock a book called The American Kennel Club, which he had to read for an hour every night. As a result, Guest says some viewers are surprised to learn Pittock is not a real dog show judge at all. Willard and Pittock reviewed all of the footage of the dogs for four hours one day, then shot their hosting sequence from dawn to dusk the next, so that Pittock could return to England. One reason Best in Show works so well is that it's not mean to its characters. It loves them for being awkward, dopey, or otherwise flawed, and it gets the audience to love them too. Guests should get all due credit for starring in the single best scene about nuts ever committed to film. But because dog show fanaticism isn't enough, Guests' character Harlan Pepper also practices ventriloquism. Hands down, the best thing about the film, though, is Jerry and Cookie Fleck, played by Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara singing their oh-so-earnest ode to Winky, their Norwich Terrier, but also all terriers everywhere. One last note, when the manager of the hotel is discussing the various cleaning products used in his hotel, he mentions a rock band trashing their room and roasting a goat. The rock band is, of course, from the film that started Guest on his journey to mockumentary stardom, Spinal Tap. What up? Will you, will you give us a nice little reflection? Reflections. Then, one chime. Yeah, the one chimes will come in. Okay, here it is. Um, this is a bit of a reflection. So I had the great honor. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna appreciate this. Okay. You're gonna love this story. Okay. Oh boy. So I had the uh, the great honor of going to Indy Memphis to the Indy Memphis Film Festival very recently as a juror, and it was lovely and I had a great time. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I so do. who was at Indy Memphis this year that we've talked about more times on the podcast than we really should because people have said, "Quit bringing this gentleman's name up, please." <laughs> the great independent filmmaker Jim Jarmusch. So Jim Jarmusch has made a film in Memphis. Yes. Yeah, uh, Mystery Train. Mystery Train, which is actually my favorite Jarmusch film. It's real um, good. Definitely, you know, something that was required of me in film school to watch. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I, Memphis is what I would call a, sit, a sister city in a, in a lot uh-huh. of ways. Very similar to Birmingham. And, and, I, and I like the city a lot. And I like a lot of the folks at Indy Memphis. It's a great f- festival. And so I go and part of the deal with being a juror is that you get on the stage and you you give an award, right? Mm-hmm. So I met with my jury and the whole thing. And we decided what we we're going to give. And the evening is going on. And... Uh, what I didn't expect to happen happened, which is that uh, Mr. Jarmusch, with his hair, came into the theater and sat dead in the center of the of the room on row two or three uh, with a direct view of the podium. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the room. And as you are aware, a lot of the people who go from film festival to film festival, especially, you know, some of the Southern Circuit film festivals, um, are the same people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those folks we know. A lot of those folks uh, are what we would call friends. Some of them frenemies. Um, <laughs> who some, are the frenemies? Some of them simply filmmakers, but certainly a handful of people who've listened to this podcast in the past. And if you've listened to this podcast in the past, then you have probably caught one of my moments talking about Jarmusch. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to just point out for the record <laughs> that my record uh, for this on this matter is unimpeachable. Like I could <laughs> hang out with Jim Jarmusch and not feel bad about it at all. You, however, have some explaining to do. So I go and, – and I'm not the only one on the stage giving awards. I mean there are other people. There are filmmakers. There are all kinds of people taking to the stage. Jarmusch was not one of them. He was said, sitting right there for a three-hour award show. Very politely. Dead center, very politely with his hair blocking the person behind him and just straight eye contact. And uh, the my award was presented almost last. So I have the whole – Two hour and 45 minutes to sweat the fact that somebody's going to get up on stage and maybe, you know, make crack a joke or think that everybody's drinking. You know what I mean? So, and I'm just nervous that at some point it's going to be like everybody's favorite. And people are mentioning him, you know, like, oh, I can't believe I'm giving an award in front of whatever, whatever. And I'm just waiting for somebody to be like, and here's Jarmusch's favorite fan, not or any number of things that could happen that I know I I get in the grand scheme of things. Probably isn't going to happen, but when you have two hours and 45 minutes to think about something, that's where my mind was going a little bit. And so, anyway, I got everything's fine. Like, spoiler alert, all, all is well. But I, you know, giving an award in that moment uh, to folks 
with him sitting there and and anyway. I thought you would appreciate it I because do. you know I was sweating I a bit. I deeply appreciate it. And I hope that during that two hours and 45 <laughs> minutes, you revisited some of your untenable positions on Jarmusch's filmography um, and thought to yourself, you know, maybe Only Lovers Left Alive really is very good because it is. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't at all. As a matter of fact, our friend Wally was in the audience and I I definitely made eye contact with him at least once. Like, please don't say anything. Anyway, I – when we <laughs> – because he 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 li- he is so wonderful and listens to the podcast. And, hey Wally. Yes, hi Wally. And so anyway, I'm so glad that he he held my cover. Anyway, when when I left, I had so much did not think about this that everybody's sort of you know fanboying out in front of Jarmusch, and I was just like, let me get out of here. I don't have any love for you, boo. Anyway, his hair looked good. Mr. Jarmusch, yeah. If and when you hear this, uh, <laughs> just know. There is one host who is a fan of your work, and uh, I appreciate you and and everything you do. Hey, look, if he can sit for a three-hour award show and do nothing, he could probably listen to a 22-minute podcast, so you never know, Corey. Your day could come. Anyway, that's Reflection. Wind chime. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. Corey, what are you watching? Okay, so I did something stupid um, to get myself in sort of the holiday spirit, even though it didn't work. Because I don't like the holidays, but whatever, that's fine. I'm the Grinch. I rewatched for the first time in fully 25 years, maybe, uh, the Home Alone franchise. Well, specifically the ones with Macaulay Culkin. So two. Home Alone and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Mm -hmm. I watched them on Disney Plus because they are available to stream. Um, That kid's a jerk. Yeah. That's all I really took away from that movie. Uh, He's the worst. I had forgotten those movies were written by John Hughes. Oh, um, oh, are you trying to go down this road? Then? Yeah, kind of, oh, a little bit. Man. It's a little pointed. Um, so it makes sense that he's, you know, the way he is. Also, um, I know it's been said every time that anybody above the age of, of 10 rewatches these movies, um, but Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci would be dead like 90 million times over. Oh, yeah. Well, they even done that YouTube video now. It's like, what would really happen? And it's gruesome. I, I mean, just like the first the first thing that happens in the first movie is somebody slips on the ice on the sidewalk and falls on their back. And I'm just like, oh, I would be dead there yeah. just from slipping and falling on the ice. Most people you know, would. You'd break your hip or something. And, they don't, you know, those guys look like swarthy men. But, you know, the human body has its limits. You're not going to, you know, fall – down a flight of stairs, or get hit in the head with a paint can, or and they really up the violence in part two. Um, lost in New York. In, yeah, lost in New York, which features a cameo from Donald Trump. Don't worry about it. Um, I mean, we're talking about like Joe Pesci's head gets set on fire, yep. and to put it out, he dunks his head in a toilet, but the toilet is filled with kerosene, and it just causes this explosion. Which would melt your face off. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get the, the movie is like, well, what if they were like the the coyote from the Roadrunner right. cartoons, and and they're just that, you know, it's that. Um, Are you if you're trying to get people on board with the idea that these aren't fun and enjoyable and great Christmas films, it's not. It's, it's not going to They're work. fun when they get violent. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I think they're kind of fun from the gate. I mean, mm. the whole point is she forgets her kid. So I mean, right out the gate, we're kind of like. Well, in the first one, right? Yeah, but I it, mean, right it, out the gate, it's it's just like whoa. That first one does a whole lot of work to set set up how that could be plausible. Yeah, but at the same time, she still forgets her kid. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's, she's she's Catherine O'Hara. She's, right. So we forgive her. Lots of lots of kids. You know, lots going on. You know, you can't be expected to account for every child. True or false? You enjoyed these films. Go ahead and say it. <sighs> say it into the microphone. They're not good, but yes, I did enjoy them. You didn't just answer my question, but we're going to take just I the part. I did. I did. Okay, uh, they're right. not I good, but I enjoyed I said you didn't just them. answer my question. You had to lead in with because the Because they're, they're not – they're really not that good. But I see why they were super successful. Yes. That kid's such a jerk though. He's Macaulay Culkin. And then just when you're watching it, the next time you will revisit these, just remember that it's just a mere 10 years down the road. But he's going to be throwing these street parties in New York and going through all of his money, every bit of it, all of the Home Alone money spent to, you know – Feed people ecstasy in New York. Anyway, what I've been watching is <laughs> that's where that money went. Oh man, he didn't get a bunch of cheese pizzas. <laughs> that too. I'm sure there were some cheese pizzas involved, but it it went away. Uh, that money did. Uh, so here's what I've been watching a lot, just a ton, a ton of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just been crazy 
uh, just, you know, between, you know, the cinema and any number of other things. But I'm going to focus on one specific thing. It is a, a point of maybe the five-minute fight's going to come out of this. Uh-oh. I finally got around to watching not all but half, because I'm not going to do any more, actually, of I think it's The House That Jack Built. Yes, oh, the Von Trier yeah. film. Yeah. I'm done with this film. I don't like this film. This yeah. film pissed me off. I normally, I understand that that's, I'm the one who's sat here and said, oh, it's the point of Von Trier. Right. And I get that to a certain degree, but this is, this is not good filmmaking. Hmm. Uh, this is, this is not, I'm just going to say it again. It's not good filmmaking and it's meant to provoke you. Oh, and it's yeah. meant to annoy you and disturb you and i'm just done with it and when you bring the animals in i don't no thank you yeah no i mean it i'm not gonna fight you on it because obviously it did what he wanted it to do with yeah you. i guess um, but it should the filmmaking should be better von trier I'll, I'll tell you what and i and i'm not gonna try to talk you into going back to it because i mean whatever but the last chapter is where not only does the filmmaking really take off but that's where I came around to it. I don't know. I, maybe. I'll leave it at that. But that's that's what I'm watching. There's really no more, no need to spend any more time yeah. with Lars on this. I, I, maybe I'll go back because I'm, I'm not one to, to jump out of a film. But boy, I was irritated if by you, it. If you and don't that runtime. I know. If you don't go back, you will not really lose anything. <sighs> oh, there it is. Yeah. That's what we're watching. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to Side Talks. This is the part of the podcast where I sound really Southern for some reason. I'm not able to say thank you for listening to Side Talks without sounding, you know, Southern. Well, kiss my grits. Country. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, Yeah, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Sidewalkfest.com. Yeah, at sidewalkfest.com and at at Sidewalk Film on social media. Um, and give us a rating on your podcatcher of choice. Five stars uh, helps us, helps get us new listeners, and we would really appreciate it because all this great work needs to be appreciated by Truth. somebody. Truth. Uh, we're your own cinematic. I mean, I've done this before, but I think it sticks. Bill and Ted. We're your own cinematic Bill and Ted. And we want to thank Beltwell Studios because they're amazing and they're awesome and they make us sound good. Most and of the time, and we, we're hard to do, you know, it's hard to get there. But Yeah, I mean, I still got my, my taser to tase you if you say, um. Right. Anyway, and also, who else? Splash 96. Oh, man, I love our music. So thanks, Splash 96. And uh, is there anything else to say? Yeah, there's one more thing. Bye. Okay, bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>